This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. <laughs> I sh- quite. You're listening to Radio, Radio Lab. Lab. The podcast. From WNYC. And NPR. Hello, everyone. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. I'm Jad Abumrad. And I'm Robert Krelwich, and Jad's sick. Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't explain to you the situation that you, the podcast listener, are in. But there's <laughs> been some confusion here among our, our podcasters as exactly what's going on. In the last five podcasts, you've listened to completely produced hour-long programs. Yes. That's why we began Radio Lab as a radio show hour-long programs, which we work very, very hard on. Yeah, I mean, I think of us as having two, we have Radio Labs for the radio, which are hour-long programs, and you've just yes. heard a bunch of those. And then we have Radio Labs just for you, you're the person <laughs> who signed up. Those are called the podcasts. And we could do stuff on the podcasts that are a little less formal, Yeah, and not that we're terribly formal on the radio, but it's just a looser form, so we can come yeah, at shorter, different lengths. Shorter. Or longer. Or longer. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. We've ran we've ran conversations between you and, and various smarty pants that have run pretty long. Really long. And yeah. have been have been great. Yes. Um, or close to forever. <laughs> but the point is, this is now the beginning of a podcast. So this is not a, and if you're wondering where to find us on the radio, the issue there is that we're on the radio at different times all over America. So you have to ask your local station when they run Radio Lab. Sometimes yes. it's in the morning, sometimes it's in the evening. But the podcast is anytime you choose. That's right. And uh, starting with this podcast, this post-season five podcast, uh, I want us to, to read to you, Mr. Krull, uh-huh. uh, the second paragraph of a, a, uh, an article that was recently in the New York Times. Okay. Have you heard about this, uh, this fellow, Barack Obama? I, I know Obama? about the New York Times. But, oh, but I'll go, yes, yes, I heard him too. Okay. Well, new researchers have documented, I'm quoting here, what they call an Obama effect showing that a performance gap between African-Americans and whites on a 20-question test administered before Mr. Obama's nomination all but disappeared when the exam was administered after his acceptance speech and again after the presidential election. So, so, so to back up, that means, translating into normal English, yes, go ahead. that um, some researchers decided to give a 20-question test to a bunch of people. They were young people and older people, too. Just you're going to take a test. It's a GRE test. It's a verbal test that you take to go to graduate school. But before they take the test, they have to list their race. Yes, they do. So you put down your race, and then you take the test. Now, the first time they administered the test was sometime last year, before Barack Obama was a big deal. Yes. And blacks performed poorer, poorer than whites. Yes. Eight, more poorly. Yeah. So whites, on average at that point, answered 12 cor- uh, questions out of 20 correct. And black uh, subjects answered only 8.5 on average out of 20. So that's a significant difference, although it was a small sample. Then they gave the exact same 20-question test, again, GREs, again, the verbal, to a group of people after 
Barack Obama had become the nominee of the Democratic Party, had given an acceptance speech in in uh, Denver, Colorado, and yep. was a pretty famous and important guy. Yes. And then they gave it yet again after Barack Obama had been elected president of the United States. So there's, there's these multiple test takings, and what they noticed was after Barack Obama had become fabulous, hmm. blacks taking the test scored about the same as whites. Before Barack Obama had been fabulous, blacks performed more poorly. And there's a, there's a long-standing reason for the previous performance, but the new performance, that's very interesting. Pretty stunning. But, I mean, we should say, as, uh, by way of caveats, that this is a really preliminary study. It's not, not been peer-reviewed. The other peer guys reviewed. haven't looked it over. He, not a huge number of uh, subjects in the study. But nevertheless, very intriguing. Yes, and there is actually precedent for this... Uh, for this um, way of thinking. The precedence goes back to uh, a psychology professor named Claude Steele. I got a job offer, this is in the 80s, at the University of Michigan, and it was part psychology and part to administer a minority student program there. And um, in the process, I, I saw data that surprised me. What he saw was a troubling trend. Two kids would enter Michigan. One was black, one was white. They'd come in at the exact same level. Same skills, same SAT score. So theoretically, they should do the same when they get to Michigan. But without fail, or almost without fail, after one semester... The black kid was winding up with lower grades. How much lower? Pretty, pretty, um, pretty dramatic. At least two-thirds of a letter grades. Meaning if the white kid got an A, the black kid, who should be getting an A2, is instead getting a B. That's right. Or a B+. Plus. That's significant. That's significant. That's significant. And he also, by the way, saw this performance gap between women and men when it came to math. To the same degree? The same degree. In advanced math courses, it was comparable. I learned this is a national phenomenon. Uh, if, if I was to walk into almost any college class in the United States, uh, I'd have a very high probability of finding exactly that. What could explain these differences? There was something there that people didn't understand and that we certainly didn't understand. So he figured he would start with the woman in math issue. He brought a bunch of women in and a bunch of men, sophomores. Brought them into the laboratory one at a time. Gave them a half an hour section of the graduate record exam you take if you're a math major. Very, very difficult math. Mm. And sure enough, the women who had all the same credentials coming into that situation performed dramatically worse than the men. Worse as in? It would be a couple hundred points on an SAT test. Big difference. So this was a big effect. So Claude Steele thought, all right, Step one, complete. I've got a lab situation that resembles the real world. Good. Now the next step is to tweak things a little bit, see if I can mess around with it. Now, normally in these situations... The test giver has got a white lab coat on and he brings in a big stack of cellophane-wrapped tests and he puts a clock on the table. It's all, it's all, you know, it's like, that's, <laughs> it's going to intimidate almost anybody. Maybe that's what's happening, he thought. What if I took away the clock, took away the coat, and most importantly, right before the test, I had the test giver, instead of saying the normal, I'm going to give you a test, pre-test thing, maybe instead, say something like this. Look, you may have heard that uh, women don't do as well as men on difficult standardized math tests. You may have heard that, but that is not true for this particular test. Oh. This particular test does not show gender differences, never has, never will. He wondered if maybe saying that simple sentence before giving the test would have an effect. And sure enough, I wouldn't be here if <laughs> their performance didn't go up and 
go up to match that of the equally skilled men. That performance gap totally vanished. Gee, look at this thing. So we raced and did it very quickly, the same kind of an experiment with African-Americans. There, the pre-test disclaimer went like this. This is an instrument that we use to study problem solving. And it is not diagnostic of individuals' intellectual ability. In other words, this is not a test of your intelligence. I repeat, not an IQ test. So just do the best you can. And with that simple disclaimer at the start... Same kind of an effect. The black students and the white students were now equal. Just recently, uh, Ryan Brown and Eric Day did an even cleverer treatment. They, there is a, an IQ test, which is nonverbal. It's called the Advanced Progressive Matrices. It has figures. Very abstract. They got lines crossing. That you have checkers, to match and so checks, on. Checks. Uh, it's essentially pattern matching. Diamonds with it's dots in totally them. Totally visual. Yeah, and so they could represent very, that test as, as it is, as an IQ test. It's in fact seen as the gold standard of IQ tests because it's, quote, culture-free. There's no math. There's no reading. Because it doesn't involve language. Uh, or you could represent the exact same test as a puzzle. Puzzles. Puzzle. Meaning you can give an IQ test to a bunch of kids and the blacks will perform worse. But if you give that same test, lose the word test, lose the word IQ, and just call it a puzzle, the black participants suddenly jump up in their performance. Basically, we got a reversal. When you represent it as a puzzle, blacks perform as well as whites. They, they did, yeah. That's all it takes. Just change a few words. In fact, there's even better research on this uh, by a guy named Jeff Stone at University of Arizona who's shown this with golfing tasks where he's had black and white golfers just putt. Wait, so this, putting? This can even, We're yes, talking about even putting? With, well, think about, think about what it takes to putt effectively. Are you a golfer? No. Ryan's not either, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right. About. So I'm going to make this up. <laughs> you have to concentrate. What we did was we got a miniature golf situation where each hole changed and people had to work around obstacles. This is Jeff Stone. He runs the Social Psychology of Sports Lab at the University of Arizona. And here's what he did. He tested his black and white putters in two scenarios. Scenario one, using the word intelligence. Uh, when we told him it was a measure of sports intelligence, black uh, participants did about four strokes worse than white participants. But when he changed it, took out the word intelligence and framed it instead as a test of your natural athletic ability. There, the results totally flipped. flipped. And we had now whites performing significantly worse than blacks by about four strokes. If you look at the, the recent uh, US Open that was played in San Diego, Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate went four days, 18 holes. They went to an 18-hole playoff on Monday. and we're still tied. Sudden death we go. And uh, Tiger finally won it on the first playoff hole. Tiger Woods wins a third US Open championship. By one stroke. So when you talk about four strokes, that's a huge difference. All right, so here's my question. Stereotypes are powerful, okay, that makes sense. Now, but in terms of understanding how this works, can you make this tactile for me? Like if the stereotype it's having all these effects is like a thing, like a mm -hmm. like a little gremlin that bites. Like when in the test taking process does it actually like do its damage? That, that's gonna it that's gonna be way open to debate. I what does seem to be clear from the data, according to Eric Day and Ryan Brown and Claude Steele, is that the gremlin only seems to appear when the test is sufficiently hard. If the test is easy, it's important to point out 
Uh, these effects don't happen. It's not that the gremlin is not there. Well, he walks in with you, but he doesn't speak necessarily until things get challenging. As soon as it, the test gets difficult. That's where the voices kick in. Which means that for most of the tests, everybody's doing about the same. It's only at problem number 17, the one about cosines and factorials and whatever, where things start to go wrong, and at least that's the theory. At that problem, the black student starts to stiffen up a little bit. That's right. And Claude Steele's measured this. Their blood pressure is elevated, their short-term memory is impaired. It's that flicker of frustration through their body that wakes up the gremlin who starts to whisper in their ear. I don't know if you can do this. Oh shit, is what they say about us true? They don't think you can do it. All the usual stuff. And even if the student doesn't believe it, which is likely. See, you don't have to believe it. That's the kind of insidious thing here. Just the fact that he has now this extra bit of mental chatter. That little guy whispering. Well, it's a distraction. And that makes their performance go down. Just a little bit. All of this dialogue is keeping you from being 100% focused on the task at hand, which is solving these problems. So the real subtle power of a stereotype isn't that it prevents you from doing the thing you want to do. It distracts you for just a beat from doing the thing you want to do. And that may be all the difference. Okay, uh, so we're almost done with this particular podcast, but before we go, I think we should have the letters section, which I'll do like this. Letters, they get letters. So we have uh, this letter, Jed Abumrad. Yes. Uh, a number of people have wondered, uh, who have listened to our diagnosis show, yeah. for those of you who haven't listened to the diagnosis show, you'll have to listen to it to understand this question, but they're very curious, what happened to patient X, who was... Um, had pancreatic cancer in the show. Yeah. We never quite explained his fate, what his, the outcome. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good question. Um, patient X uh, had his entire pancreas removed mm-hmm. and um, many years later is, is doing fine. He's still alive. Uh, although the pancreas being a very important organ, uh, when he was removed, he became a diabetic. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty radical, radical surgery, but it's, you know, arguably saved his life. Okay, the next question. This comes from your father and your mother, Chad. <laughs> and it comes I know like, where this is going. What is wrong with you is essentially <laughs> what they're saying. And I'd like to join them in that. Uh, for those of you who remember the show, uh, was it Choice when you did this? Yeah. Suddenly in the middle of the show, and for no reason, at the end of a segment, uh, Jed used a term of opprobrium to... Ex- to 
He used a name that is normally associated with female dogs and just simply oh, called the go audience ahead. bitches. Just That's why you just called okay bitches, and then like the, all hell broke loose. Yeah, and I thought at the time, what? <laughs> it's true. You should. Uh, you, it's it's true. You should yeah, go on record as being a dissenter from the beginning. Yeah, Here you were. I thought uh, like why did you why would you do that? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I'll, I, uh, some people found many people found it funny. Many people did not find it funny, and I sincerely apologize to the people who didn't. You look, I'm in my 30s, okay? I grew up watching MTV. It's, uh, you know, I, you know, you go out with your friends, and you're like, all right, bitches, you ready to go out to dinner? Well, let's you go to the movies. Say that? You yeah, say that? it's, no, a, it's a term of endearment. Huh. It just popped out during one of the sessions. You remember this. It was really I do, late. And I, re- a thousand I thought takes. it was like really insulting and stupid. But no, I, you didn't find it insulting But then you did the this, this, this generation card thing on me, so like I get like, I get scared. <laughs> get if I, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, all right, so well, I see. That's what all the young people are doing. But you know what? I, um, it, I got so many people coming saying, what's wrong with him? Why did he do that? And, and a lot of them were your age or... Dare I say it? Like nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. So yeah, I think it must you're be exaggerating. A cultural thing. It, it's a, I think it's generational, but it doesn't even matter. At this, at, at honestly, it, I, I, if I could do it again, I would take it back. You uh, would. No offense. You would. No you offense would. meant. I mean, where it came from for me, and I think people who are my age, they, you know, it, it wasn't an attempt to be hip. It's just something that happened in the booth. It was funny, and so we left it in. We probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Because my parents will not let me forget it. <laughs> They're always like at dinner. They're like, "Can you pass the salt, bitch?" <laughs> what do you think of the chicken roast, bitch? <laughs> like, all right, mom, I get it. I get it. They're such good parents. <laughs> Anyhow, I guess we should go. Yeah. All right. So, Radio Lab is funded in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the National Science Foundation. Also by Nurse Nestle who will try to get Jad back to bed and tucked in to sleep as soon as possible. <laughs> right. I'm Jad Abumrad. Nurse Nestle? Is that what I said? I don't know why you I You never that. know what you're going to say. <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. We'll, uh, I guess, catch up with you in two weeks. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.